Welcome to the Digital Mindfulness Podcast. This is episode number eight. Welcome to the podcast. Here you'll hear me speak to experts from around the world on different ways to create meaningful and beneficial digital experiences. Here we speak with neuroscientists, user experience designers, TEDsters, psychologists, technology professionals, nutritionists, and other experienced professionals who share their insights on how we can improve the quality of our experiences with digital technologies. In this episode, I talk with Professor Gloria Mark of the University of California, Irvine. Professor Mark has focused her impressive research on human and computer interaction, and particularly the effect of task switching on attention. In this fascinating talk, we discuss some of the reasons why people resort to task switching, what it is, and and the effect that it has on their personal and professional lives. We talk about the reasons why internet blocking technology doesn't really work in the long term and how you can use your computer to get the most out of your life and not the other way around. I hope you enjoy this talk. So, Gloria, well, I think I've gone through your entire resume there, which is absolutely super impressive. But I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit about about yourself and your journey towards human-computer interaction. How did you come to be specializing in this topic? Well, I was originally trained in psychology, and I, I love psychology because I'm, I'm just fascinated by human behavior. And uh, the, the first job that I got after finishing my PhD was in um, electronic data systems. They had a, uh, an, um, a, a conference room where the computers were all networked together and they were very interested to study how people could improve their group collaboration using computer technology. Mm. And I I was so excited at the prospect of working in this, what at the time was this futuristic kind of setting, which now is is quite uh, mundane in the IT world. 
And so I just, you know, I just dove in and, um, and then later I, um, I lived in, uh, Germany and worked at, uh, the German national research research center for information technology, where I really got much, much deeper into, uh, human computer interaction. Fantastic. So, um, I mean, in a lot of your work, um, essentially a lot of your work focuses on multitasking. Um, but what is multitasking and why is it important? So uh, multitasking uh, can mean a lot of different things to different people. And when I talk about multitasking, I'm talking about the interleaving of different tasks or the interleaving of different activities. So, you know, a lot of people think that it's possible for you to, um, you know, type on a Word document and be on a phone call at the same time. Um, that's impossible. You can't do it. What people are doing is switching back and forth very rapidly. So they're switching their attention between uh, the phone call and between, um, the, the, you know, typing words or reading. Um, so, so we, you know, the starting point that I work from is that tasks are interleaved. It's a little bit like um, time sharing with computers, right? Um, now, there, there are some uh, fields that talk about this concept of media multitasking. And that's the idea that people might be listening to music while they're jogging or they might be listening to music you know, young people while they're working on homework. Um, that's possible to do if one of those tasks is pretty much automatic. So if you're driving and listening to music, you can do that because listening to music uh, could be automatic or, or the driving could be. But as, so, as soon as someone swerves in front of you, your attention goes completely to the road and you stop listening to the music. So it's it's maybe a long explanation, but I'm interested in the interleaving of of these tasks and and multitasking with digital media is really important because it can affect people's productivity, uh, it can affect their stress, and it you know as a consequence it can also affect people's health. Mm. And could you just elaborate on that? Like, in what ways can it can it affect health? Because I'm sure there are, I'm sure basically everybody listening to this is expected to multitask in, in one form or another, either pro professionally or personally. Well, we know that uh, multitasking does have an, an effect on stress. And there's a, a huge literature that shows that workplace stress is negatively associated with health. And, and also well-being. So, you know, we also know that the use of certain kinds of digital media is associated with, um, with people's mood. And negative affect or negative mood can also impact health. So, you know, these, what, what people do all day, every day in the workplace with digital media uh, does have a, a connection with health. So, I mean, we, we were talking briefly about this um, just before um, we, we came on to record, but 
could you just elaborate which like which types of digital media um affects health affects our health negatively okay well we can say that um for one thing you know we've done studies with email and we know you know we we did a did a study back in 2012 where we cut off email for some information workers for one work week. And we had them wear heart rate monitors. And the heart rate monitors measure um, your heart rate, but also the distance between heartbeats. And the variability of that distance between heartbeats is a measure of stress. And we found that when email was cut off, people were significantly more relaxed, significantly less stressed. And we also know from, from another current study that um, the the more time people spend on email, the more stressed that that they are. So there's definitely a connection with with email and stress. On the other hand, let me let me talk about the flip side that some social media, such as Facebook, seems to be associated with um, making people um, more positive in their mood. So having a more positive well-being, which of course can attenuate the the effects of uh, of stress. So would this be why then? I guess in a lot in in the workplace, why people would go off very easily and very quickly to Facebook for for a quick break or check their Snapchat or other social media accounts. Well, well, it could be, but one one thing that we found uh, in doing a study was that when people, uh, the the more Facebook that people did, the more engaged in their work they were. It sounds it sounds very counterintuitive, but but we have an explanation for it, and it's that when people are, if you're really engaged in work, uh, you don't want to have a break where you have a face-to-face interaction because it takes you away too much from your work. Um, you know, when you have a face-to-face interaction, you're, you're a prisoner of that interaction, right? You, you, you can't move away very quickly because of social norms. But with Facebook, you know, you can have benefits that you get from social interaction, but you're in control. So you can move in and out of Facebook very quickly. You know, you can look at status updates, you can like things, you can comment, but you can go in and out at your will. And when you're really engaged in your work, it affords a, a very quick break. So we, we call this grazing behavior in the same way that cows graze. You know, people can graze through Facebook and come back and forth between their, their work and Facebook in a, in a very seamless kind of way. And, and is this um, um, grazing behavior and the lack of control, does that manifest itself more in email, do you find then? Yes. So email, um, people report consistently, and I've studied people over many years, and they report feeling a, a lack of control with email. And um, there, there's this one quote, which I love. Uh, this, this one person said, I let the sound of the bells and the pop-ups rule my life. And when, when we did the email cutoff study, it gave people a chance to reflect what email was doing with, to them. And so, you know, they were able to get a, a broader perspective and, you know, and be reflective on, on how 
how their um, moods and how their stress was changing. So, yeah, email does uh, is associated with a feeling of just they, they people can't control it. And there's there's a lot more behind that. There's there's social norms, for example, that you have to respond fast to email, right? There's pressure, especially in the workplace. And depending on who sends the email, if if a colleague or your supervisor sends an email, you know, you can't neglect it. There's a pressure to respond fast. And so people talk about being on the treadmill of email. Is, is that, uh, I mean, one of the questions I was going to ask you um, a little bit later on, but it's really good now, is, you know, how do we create stress and tension when we're using these digital technologies? But I'm really interested in this whole idea that a lot of the stress that we create is is cultural, you know, that um, actually, you know, we don't actually have to respond straight away to to email, but, but culturally, you're right, there's this kind of netiquette that we have that we kind of feel that, you know, I've got to respond straight away if someone asks me a question, perhaps more so in the, in the professional field, but certainly I feel that in the, uh, you know, when I'm responding personally to, to my friends and family. Yes, I, I think that's right. And I think it's important to realize, you know, sometimes people talk about pulling out of email on an individual basis or not answering email. But you have to remember that we're caught up in this whole web of of uh, social interaction using digital media. And we're, we're really not independent and alone in this. And if any single individual tries to pull out of using email, that, that person can be penalized in ways that, um, you know, even ways that are not expected. So, you know, we have to think about how we can change the entire system. You know, it's not just any person, but changing the entire system so that people don't feel such pressure. Um, and, and it's not just the answering the email but we also have to change the notion of sending the email okay what 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 do you mean by that like the notion changing the notion of sending the email well very often uh email is associated with work and I'll, i'll give a story there was one person who we studied who talked about receiving what he called taskers from his manager and the taskers were things to do, you know, tasks to take care of. And this person was a, uh, um, a laboratory scientist, and he needed a block of time to be able to set up lab studies. And he was constantly getting these taskers, and he wasn't able to do his work, and he felt pressure that he needed to respond. And so the person sending the tasks, um, you know, perhaps they th- need to understand the effect that they're having, uh, you know, on, on this individual and on other people, so that you have to, you know, perhaps if a, if a person had an awareness of what, what the, uh, the other person at the other end of their email is doing at this time, or how much email they have currently, um, then they might have a better idea of when to send email or what content the email should be. So that's kind of teaching people a greater sense of empathy, if you like, yeah. in, the, in the digital field. Right. So um, um, just to kind of finish off this whole thing about st- about stress, but um, 
so I guess according to what you're to what you've just said, um, the more applications that we have open at any one time is the kind of the increase in stress that we feel because that's all a symptom of multitasking. Um, and I know that I'm ve- I'm very very guilty of having lots of applications open at once, lots of windows open on my on my internet on my web browser um, at any one time. But you say that working in that kind of digital at- um, atmosphere and environment increases stress. Well, almost it, unknowingly. Uh, yes, it it increases um, the chances that people will switch to to another application when when people make a switch to a completely different application or different task there there's a cognitive cost involved because people people have to switch their their cognition and sometimes they have to reorient to what they were doing in this other task and so all of these things you know accumulate into stress so you know there's a there's a cumulative stress when when you keep doing this um, throughout the course of the day. Wow. So um, so Gloria, you've written a book on the topic of multitasking in the digital age. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about the book? Yes. Well, uh, so it's it's a culmination of a lot of work that I've been doing in this topic over the years, and um, I focus on the role especially of information technology on multitasking. And I look at various perspectives. So I look at the perspectives of interruptions. Uh, I look at email because email seems to be the number one source of interruptions, uh, which, of course, uh, is associated with multitasking. I look at um, attention focus. So what leads people to pay attention or not? And what effect attention focus or the lack thereof has on people's uh, switching activities. Um, So I I also talk about what multitasking is. And I also um, discuss factors in our our modern digital age that can lead people to multitask. So, Gloria, um, could you just elaborate, what are some of the factors that can cause people to multitask in a digital age? So, I actually think there's a number of factors, so so let me go through some of them. First of all, there's just the sheer abundance of information that's available, uh, not only on our our computer um, uh, in our computer storage, but also just on the internet. Now, but but that alone is not a sufficient explanation. I think there's other factors going on as well. Um, I think it has to do with the number of tasks and projects that people are involved in. So we find in our research that people average about having 12 different projects at the same time. These are typical information workers. The more projects you have uh, increases the chances of switching to one of these other projects. Uh, you know, people get cues in their environment all the time, which leads them to switch to one of these other tasks. I think the size of people's workplace social networks is a factor. So the more opportunities there are for interactions, the more opportunities for interruptions, which leads to switching. Uh, the 
the ease and speed of accessing information is a factor because the way current digital media is designed is that it's very low cost and there are very low barriers to accessing information. You know, we can access information with a click and in milliseconds we, we can, you know, bring ourselves to another web page, we can pull up files, very easy to do that. Computer interface is a factor because um, we can have, you know, as we talked about a little bit earlier, you can have your your uh, interface uh, cluttered with lots of different windows that are open and they, they all stay in your peripheral vision and they act as cues. You know, maybe if you see part of a Facebook page open, um, that's a cue that maybe you want to go check Facebook. Uh, even the way hypermedia is structured is a factor that affects multitasking because hypermedia affords many different access points to a concept. And just the way that the Internet is designed with the structure of nodes and links, it maps on very well to, to how people think, which is in terms of associations. It makes it really easy for us to just simply, you know, click on a link and, and change our train of thought. Uh, as you talked about earlier, there's a lot of cultural assumptions associated with technology. So there's uh, social norms, and they're continually evolving with digital media use. I gave the example of email and you know requiring a rapid response, and also this sense that people should be available, you know, all at all times. And then you know. Last, I just want to say office space. There's there seems to be a movement now toward the open office plan, and we're finding that that's uh, significantly associated with more interruptions. So, um, I mean, with the open office, I mean, this was something I was actually going to pick you up on because um, this was something that one of our previous guests, Tristan Harris, that he spoke about that this whole idea of the open office was really pernicious to him being not only productive but just being healthy and just being able to focus on finishing his the task that he was meant to be meant to be achieving but what but we never actually kind of went into any great depth as to why open offices were so um dangerous to that to his focus could you just elaborate on that well so let me first differentiate between different kinds of work. So we, we've measured people and the number of projects that they work on. Some projects are central to people's work. That means that they're, they're accountable for them. They want to make sure that they perform really well. Some, some projects are peripheral. So sometimes you get pulled into someone else's project to give advice, for example, and in open office plans, for one thing, we find that people are interrupted significantly more from peripheral work, that they're, they're kind of pulled into other people's spheres of work, um, more so than when people are in uh, closed offices. Another thing is that people, of course, there's just more opportunities for being distracted. So there, there is more noise in open office plans and people talk about being distracted because they're they hear others talking about work or even keywords that might relate to their own work 
So, you know, it's, it's hard to remain focused when you're constantly having a, a kind of um, uh, awareness going on all the time of what other people are talking about. So I guess then our, our ability to train and hone um, our attention or our focus is going to be um, far more important both now and in the future rather than less. I, I think so, yes. Yes, and I, and I don't think the burden should be placed on people. I think technology has to play a role also. I mean, it's this uh, people, it's, it's not the fault of people alone for being distracted because technology is certainly playing a role as well. Mm-hmm. One thing um, I wanted to, wanted to talk about um, with you, Gloria, was this idea of the um, um, of people's attitudinal states with regards to digital technology and, and focus, and how people's um, um, attitudinal states were really important. The way that people come to technology um, makes them either more or less um, um, susceptible to being distracted or not so if somebody so somebody might be more prone to being distracted and somebody actually might be more might be less um prone to being um distracted that that was in one of your papers that i thought was absolutely fascinating could you just elaborate on that please for us sure so um you know there's been there's been a a long-standing assumption uh among people that study the role of interruptions, that people are working very focused on some task and then along comes something that leads them to be distracted. You know, maybe it's a, you know, a Facebook uh, notification or someone uh, walks by their office door, which, you know, so we looked at this from a different perspective and we asked the question, maybe a person's attentional state could make them susceptible to being distracted. And that's exactly what we found. So so using our combination of sensors and using a technique called experience sampling, where we're continually probing people on uh, how focused they are. And uh, we find that when people are uh, doing what they consider to be rote work or mechanical work, uh, they're more likely to engage in a face-to-face interaction compared to when they're focused. When people are bored, they're more likely to do Facebook compared to, you know, being focused. And strangely enough, it's the opposite. If people are already focused, they tend to switch to do email. And I think the for the latter finding, we can explain it that you know, it takes a little bit of effort to get yourself into a focused state. But if you're already there, you know, you might as well get email out of the way. Right? Why why try to rev up that energy? If, if you're already there, you might as well just go and do email, get it out of the way. But I think, I think that finding is really important insofar as when people know that they're bored or that they're not engaged with their work, they're actually dealing with email might not be the best use of their time in that moment. Yes. Well, because email does require focus. We, we find that in other research too. 
it does require a focused amount of effort to deal with email. And, and that's, um, that's uh, partially why people are stressed doing email. Because, you know, to do anything that involves focused attention involves, you know, some amount of stress. So, I mean, this is just a quick aside, um, Gloria, but how then do you, do you think, um, kind of given your years of research on this, how could email be made less stressful? Wow. Do you think? <laughs> having the solution for that is... <laughs> going to make someone very, very wealthy. Um, so, you know, I think email uh, needs to, there, there needs to be different factors. One is um, at the organizational level, organizations need to batch email. And that means you send it out at certain periods of the day uh, instead of sending it out continually. And, you know, this would break people of this habit of continually checking. Right? Because if you know email is not going to come for another two hours or even another hour, there's no sense in checking it. You know, we find people check email on average about 74 times a day. And they, they don't need to do that if, if we, email could be uh, sent in a, in a, um, a spaced uh, mode. Um, I also think, though, that email could be better attuned to match people's current uh, attentional states. And, you know, we might also think about trying to uh, reduce email by, you know, working on the sender and, you know, changing the sender's conception of sending email. Because you have this cost-benefit, and the sender is the one that benefits, and the receiver is the one who um, receives the cost because they have to do the work of answering the email. So, um, so, Gloria, I know that you've done like loads and loads of work with sensors. And going back to what you were saying about um, about email in the workplace, do you can you see can you foresee a future where workers are using sensors that are that are monitoring their um, their attentional state, and then can put can kind of open or close applications or workflows according to their attentional state. Absolutely. And, and this is work that, that I'm currently working on with colleagues. Um, absolutely. I, I can see, um, and, you know, I can see how this is going to play a, a strong role in, even in the near future, because if we can know uh, when people are focused, when people are stressed, um, their, their digital media use could be geared around that so that we can make it, you know, much more, pleasant experience for people that is absolutely fascinating because i guess this doesn't just have ramifications for the workplace but also in schools as well yes yes and i have also studied um college students the the millennial generation and their uh, attention span is even shorter than information workers that, that is that that is amazing. Um, so, um, so Gloria, in your opinion, do internet blocking apps work long term for reducing distractions? I I don't think so, and and the reason I don't think so is that they're they're based on extrinsic motivating factors, and I think 
if we want to um, consider in the long term, people have to relearn themselves how to have more control. And they, they need to develop self-efficacy in controlling their digital media use. Now, these internet blocking apps could help um, break conditioning behavior and help break habits, but people eventually have to be able to do it on their own. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, the design of the information technology itself has to change as well. Okay. So, um, so Gloria, how do you personally use technology in a way that's beneficial and meaningful to you? I am not the best example. (laughs) (laughs) I I multitask as much as anyone. And so I am a very, very poor example. Uh, Nevertheless, what I do try to do is I I do try to set goals for myself for the day of, of what I expect to accomplish. Um, I try very hard not to switch uh, tasks too much. So I I try very hard to work on a task. Um, I know I'm not going to do it, work on it through completion because it's I usually have very long ongoing tasks. But I try to work till what's called a break point, which is a reasonable place to stop and be able to pick up again because then it's less cognitive load to be able to find your place. Um, so, you know, that's, that's the, um, the technique that I use. I, I have tried these, um, you know, these internet timers and, uh, they, they don't work well for me. They may work for other people, but not for myself. And, and how, and how come they don't work so well for you? Just because when, when the timer stops, it's at an artificial point for you. Yes, and and I feel again that it's it's more of an extrinsic motivating force, and and I'm looking for intrinsic ways to um, to control my digital media use. Fantastic. So, um, so Gloria, I mean, this sounds like a like a really great place to to kind of wrap everything up. Now, where can people find out more about you and your work? Well, as, as you mentioned, um, I have a new book that came out called Multitasking in the Digital Age, uh, published by Morgan Claypool Publishers. Uh, that's, a, that's a nice summary of uh, not just the work that I've done, but you know, I also connect it to other studies that have been done on multitasking and interruptions. And of course, uh, anyone can go to my website and see my um, my uh, current and past work, and that's www.ics.uci.edu forward slash, and then tilde G Mark. Great. Great stuff. And then I'll, I'll also link to all of the papers and studies that we've been talking about during this interview. So, Gloria, Gloria Mark, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, I've learned a hell of a lot. And... Um, Thank you so much for your time and sharing it with us. Oh, it was fun. Thank you. It was my pleasure. I hope you enjoyed the insights from Professor Mark. I know I did. As promised, I've put links to all of her details and her books in the show notes over at digitalmindfulness.net. I had no idea how much of an impact that our fragmented attention had on us and our health. I hope this was of use to you, the listener. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, 
please leave a comment or a five-star rating for us in iTunes or Stitcher as they really, really help. Stay tuned also for some more excellent episodes and guests as we've got some fantastic people coming up to share their insights with you. Also, stay alert for the announcement of our winter conference, which will be coming very, very soon. Until the next time, take care. Thank you.